Welcome to the Passion Purpose Power podcast. I'm your host, Ames. I'm a neurodivergent, fat, queer counsellor, coach and clinical supervisor. And I love stories. I love hearing your stories. I love sharing stories. And I love talking with people about their stories. In this podcast, I'm going to introduce you to interesting people with interesting stories to share about their passions, purpose and power. If you love this podcast, please don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss any amazing episodes. And come and find me on social media. I want to hear from you and please share your stories with me. On today's podcast, I am going to be talking with Loretta Andrews. Loretta is a radio broadcaster, podcaster, artist development coach, social activist and music manager. Loretta has a first class degree in professional and creative writing with media arts and has worked as a radio presenter and producer for 12 years. She now spends most of her time developing independent music artists and managing five talented artists full time, all who have the vision to speak into social change and make difference through their music. In 2019, Loretta was selected as part of the first Music Manager Forums Accelerator Programme in partnership with YouTube and Arts Council England. In 2021, Loretta was selected to be part of the PRS Foundation's Power Up Scheme, the first of its kind supporting 40 black music professionals and artists. Currently, Loretta manages poet, producer and rapper Joshua Luke Smith. British-Nigerian-Jamaican folk soul singer-songwriter Bianca Rose and award-winning rap and grime artist Governor B. Loretta is also passionate about helping independent artists achieve their goals and co-founded I Am Independent with Bianca Rose, which resources, supports and encourages independent artists through a podcast, workshops and online boot camp. Loretta is passionate about being the change we want to see and educating others to do more in terms of a fairer and better society for the future. She is mum to a 12-year-old son who keeps her on her toes and reminds her she's not as cool as she used to be. Welcome to the podcast, Loretta. Um, Loretta, thank you so much for agreeing to do the podcast. Welcome. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, where should we start? Let's. I, I, I literally have all of these questions ready to go and I want to ask them all at the same time, but I've got to start somewhere. So um, I think that perhaps it would be good to, do you want to just sort of talk a little bit about your kind of background in terms of career and, and give us a little intro as to who you are? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, most of my career is centred around music. Um, ever since I can remember, I always wanted to be a singer or a dancer, like since being little, like, like most young girls, I think. Um, and it seemed very unrealistic. And in fact, I even remember my careers officer at school at 13 kind of saying, come on, let's think of something more realistic, shall we? But I was really determined. Um, and actually, fortunately, I did manage to do that. So I, I went off to form an art school. And my first job was doing back in singing um for uh, all sorts of artists for albums and live shows um then i worked for a charity that worked with teenagers in schools doing mentorship but using music and drama um so i kind of went straight into doing all of that um then i was in a band that was signed to um a record company in the states um then i was a session singer and then I was like, Do you know what, maybe I should grow up and get a real job and be an adult. So I went back to university with the plan to like, you know, get a proper degree and ended up doing media arts and professional creative writing. <laughs> and I fell in love with radio. So I changed my whole course to um, study in radio um, and I loved it. And straight after that, I got a job as an assistant producer and worked my up, way up with a radio station to eventually be in the drive time presenter. 
Um, and I still couldn't stop the whole music thing though. So I also had a radio show that was for unsigned artists because it was always a real passion of mine. Mm-hmm. And at that point I was just singing for fun really with my sister. Um, and then through being on the uh, unsigned radio show, I kept meeting artists who were really talented, but they had no plan and they didn't have any music industry knowledge. So um, I used to love giving out advice and, and connecting people. And a few people said, oh, you'd make a really good music manager. And I was like, would I? I'm not, I'm not sure. No, no, no. I'm a creative. I'm a creative. And eventually I kind of gave in and didn't know what I was doing, but sort of part time started managing a couple of artists that I really believed in. Um, and that, for a while I did that alongside working at the radio station. And then I went full time on that in 2019. Um, and sort of looked like it was just about going to make it to be a viable business. And then, of course, the world fell apart with COVID. (laughs) Um, But yeah, sort of um, managed to somehow limp through that. I'm still doing music management now. I also teach uh, uh, one day a week at a university music business and songwriting. Mm. Um, And yeah, my, my passion's always been music. And alongside that, I've always had a bit of a big mouth and been fairly opinionated. Um, which is where the the book that I wrote with Ruth Hill on um, teaching children, um, talking to children about racism um, came about. And that was more of a side project, really, that I just felt really passionate, wanted to be out there. And um, I can't say I'll ever write a book again. It was one of the most stressful things I've ever done. <laughs> but I'm so glad it's out there in the world. But yeah, that, that pretty much makes up me, really amazing and it's so interesting to hear your whole story like that because it it sort of seems to have gone from like you know your young musical dreams performing dreams to mentoring and I guess a sort of I I don't know whether when we get to a sort of certain age and stage in life there is an element of kind of like now I want to pass on my knowledge and kind of help uh, bring on other people in the areas that we're passionate about yeah i think in some ways when i look back because it was a very wiggly line to where i've got to um now you can do like um degrees in music management and music business there was nothing like that um but i almost feel like all the different things i did along the way sort of prepared me for what i'm doing now because really my passion has come down to wanting to make a difference through music which sounds really broad but everything I've done has been that, like even with the band that I was in in Manchester, it you know had this charity element and training and mentoring teenagers, um, even though I was essentially in a girl band, but that was the, the kind of our message and for around self-esteem and different issues like that. Um, and then even with the radio show, I used to love speaking to people about their stories and, and how music can be really transformative. Um, so, so really um, it's, I think I've just put one foot in front of the other towards what I've been passionate about, what I've, I've always had to have a sense of purpose, but realizing that even the creative and fun and beautiful things of the world can have a really strong impact. And in fact, we need those. That it, It's so much easier to speak to a teenager about a tough issue through a song than it is to sit them down and give them a lecture or something. Right. Right. That's that's so that's so amazing. So you kind of use the word passion and purpose interchangeably. Yeah. Do you think do you think they're the same? Do they feel different to you? Would you say your passion is the same as your purpose? Mm, that's a really, really good question. I think a lot of people go through life with them being separate. But I think when you hit on the what you're here for, then they they entwine. Um, I think 
I had a strong sense of purpose before I realized I could use my passion to fulfill my purpose, if that makes sense. So I've always felt quite a strong sense of purpose, but I wanted to not just be here and that's it. Like I wanted to contribute to moving things forward in some way. Um, But I never dreamed really that that could be done through the things that I'm passionate about. Um, And I think the most fulfilled I've ever been is when those two are, are definitely entwined. Yeah. That's a lovely way of putting it. So, so you've you've kind of just followed the things you were excited about, and that and that made you come alive. Music, performing, that kind of thing, and then that sort of led to a real meaning, uh, purpose, and and uh, it's quite existential, I think, isn't it? Like, actually, you you feel a real meaning. And if I was put, if I was to ask you, you know, what's the meaning of your life? I guess it's going to encompass some of what you've already just said. Yeah, definitely. I I think we all have that question at some point, don't we? Like, why am I here? What am I doing? And I also think we have to be aware of what's happened in society and and generationally, because years ago, you know, and I really had to check myself on this a few years ago, like, you know, our parents and grandparents didn't have the luxury of going, I'm going to do a passion project and turn it into a business. You know, it was survival. And um, sometimes I think I've taken that for granted, especially when I've when I caught myself saying to teenagers, go for your dreams, like, well, actually, maybe the structures around them are not going to enable them. And how much am I settling them up, setting them up for failure or disappointment? Yet at the same time, you've got to have the risk of setting yourself up for failure and disappointment if you want to get anywhere near your passion. and I think, you know, lots of people talk about teenagers being in an entitled generation at the moment. And I, there's a lot of truth in that. But also they haven't had the struggles, haven't had to see the things that generations before. So of course they're going to be like that. So then I feel, feel like um, rather than seeing, oh, you know, either every other teenager wants to, you know, be an entrepreneur and, you know, good for them sort of thing. Like, that's an amazing thing that we should encourage. Like we are in a privileged time that we can afford to, not all of us, but a lot of us, a lot more of us, ask ourselves what makes me feel alive and move towards what brings us joy. Whereas there's many people still today, but certainly in the past, where that just wasn't an option. Yeah. So um, I do, I don't take that for granted. Yeah, yeah, that's really important. And I suppose um, some of the, the systems. It's a, we've kind of covered passion and purpose, but I think actually through our whole conversation, we're going to be talking about passion, purpose, and power. But some, what do you see as some of the systemic kind of changes that need to happen in terms of uh, equality, power? Uh, what are your sort of thoughts on on those kinds of things? Well, in terms of change, it, it can be so overwhelming. And I think for somebody like me, that's always wanted to make a difference in society. Uh, sometimes I found myself feeling really overwhelmed by the changes that we needed to see in society and I would just feel like how can I in my little corner like see this change and you know do something towards that but then I realized that's exactly what I should be doing is in my little corner in the people that I can reach that's how we start change of course we need to make sure we're doing things like voting um, like uh, making sure we call out um systemic racism or any kind of prejudice that we see in our workplaces where we are but again that's kind of our corner you might not be able to feel like your voice is heard at a a government level 
but if you're seeing that in your workplace and you're not talking about it or calling it out but even more so in our own families uh in our own friendship circles not being afraid to do that so i think the change needs to be as it always is is to start talking about these things mm. um we don't get anywhere by shaming people by saying how how wrong we are uh, how beautiful it is when we move from seeing someone go oh you're different than me you believe something different than me to oh my gosh we've got more in common than we have different and I'm always careful when I say that because talking specifically about racism and anti-racism sometimes that whole colorblind thing has really done a disservice to the work against um, racism by saying, oh, I don't even see colour. We, we don't want to be blind to people's differences, but we do want to be appreciative and we do want to celebrate it. And we do want to go, actually, there may be those differences, but there's all of this in common as well. So I, I just think, I mean, it sounds just so cheesy, doesn't it? But I really think a change starts with ourselves and with those around us. And then by doing that and by being not afraid to have those conversations and to have difficult and sometimes uncomfortable conversations, that's the beginning of change, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So I, I guess your your advice, not to put words in your mouth, but start, start with yourself, start with your corner of the world, start with your family. Um, I, I guess I, I kind of have a question that I don't even know if there's an answer to, but um, you know people like you people like me people who genuinely kind of want to help others and make change I often see I often see the people that actually get the power and sort of to, to have a big voice maybe it's government maybe it's wealth maybe it's something that elevates those people up there and and then I, I don't know there's a sort of that there, there, there t tends to be kind of like a, I guess a selfishness there, there are people in positions that don't have the desire to make life better for other people I don't even know if there's a question in there <laughs> yeah no I know exactly what you mean because unfortunately positions of power attract a certain kind of person and the people who have what it takes to get there often have let's be face it a, a narcissistic element to them that's why they can even get to those and um I've, I've always thought this like you think well you need these people in positions of power and there's a certain kind of personality that of you know you see abuse of power at the top of churches at the top of institutions at the top of businesses you know particularly you know very successful capitalist ones and you're like you've got success or a version of success again i'm i'm very hot on defining what success means to you not just subscribing to just this general one but at the same time i think the the closest we can get to that not being corrupt is making sure that it's not just one or two people at the top um and again that kind of change takes a long time but yeah. everywhere you see um groups societies communities that are run in a committee where a, a variety of opinions are, are being allowed to be expressed. Yes, it's a lot messier because you have to listen to a lot of different things, but it always um, becomes fairer. And until we can make sure the least of the least is catered for, then in my opinion, it's not leadership yeah. if you're only looking after that small percentage. So it, it is frustrating because I think power systems attract and protect the type of personality and the, the type of dynamics that you're talking about 
And I think the only way we'll see that change is when we can, you know, get away from things being a dictatorship or too few people, not having even people to be accountable to. When people become untouchable, it's just human nature, I think. It's the ego, isn't it? Um, and, and no person should have that much power and not be not have people who can bring them down a, a peg or two. Um, it, it's funny because in, in my circle of, of friends and where I work, um, they jokingly call me the scary one. And like people always like, oh, you know, don't, don't want to, you know, because it's basically because I'm very direct talking. But I've got a group of five girls who can cut me down. They can tell me it as it is. And they will lovingly, but they are not afraid to tell me. And I'd never do it whenever I do anything now. I mean, when I was younger, perhaps not. But now I always run it past those girls because they are going to be honest with me. I think we need to put in our own accountability, not wait until we get to those positions of power. But you you learn that as you progress through life, don't you? Um, I think, you know, like people say, like, you know, when people win the lottery, that they're generous with it if they were generous before and they're stingy with it if they were stingy before. We're basically the person we are that amplified when that comes into either the limelight with fame or with power um so i think we can even start schooling ourselves now like how are we on the parents committee and how are we how do we teach our friends you know i I judge people by how they speak to waiters and waitresses you know i hate it when i see people being rude to people who are serving you so all of that tells you something about someone doesn't it i feel like i didn't really answer your question (laughs) i don't even think i asked one (laughs) but but i but i love this and actually you know i i was um I, I did. I don't know enough about it to talk on it, but I did see a video the other day about the, uh, the Finnish political system, and they have. It's not quite a people's assembly, but it seems like a, a much fairer way of uh, doing government, and um, and also they just eradicated homelessness or something like that as well. So Finland wow. seems to be the, the the. But there's lots of European countries that seem to be doing it better than us. <laughs> um, yeah. And 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 I the impossible question that I'm not going to answer is how is any of that going to change? But as you say, we're we're starting with our little corners and within our own world and lives. Um, yeah. What? So you mentioned the book, um, and obviously uh, I had Ruth on uh, a different podcast, and and she talked a little bit about the sort of the birth of the book. You also talked about it being a really hard process. What was what was it like to kind of uh, hear from Ruth and, and get that project going and, and complete it, I guess? Amazing, actually, because I think one of the things that... So we, we wrote the book, the birth of the book was in the events of 2020 when suddenly everyone remembered that racism was still around and all of those kind of things. And uh, I had so many conversations around that time. I've always had um very mixed friends all different cultures all different backgrounds um and some of the conversations were really hard and and disappointing and and painful actually um and then some of them were just so amazing um and just so many of my friends who were like oh do, do you feel some of this stuff do, do you do you experience racism i'm like every day and they were like really i've been your friend for years and i had no idea and firstly, I was like, well, you know, kind of why would I say it? But then I also realised how being so conditioned to just get, get on with it. And if you've had, you know, microaggression happen in a shop, it makes you feel icky, but you just shake it off and you get on with your day. You're not going to go and tell your friend about it. Um, but one of the people that was just 
so amazing about it was Ruth. Um, we we met each other when we were pregnant with our first children, and we always got on really well. We've got very similar views politically and just how we parent. So we we got on very well from the start. And she reached out to me um, and basically just wanted to ask some questions about my experience and just said, I really want to do better with my kids. Like, you know, do, do you know of any books? And the way she asked was the thing that impacted me because before she said that, she said, look, I'm really aware this is probably quite a traumatic time for you. If I shouldn't even be asking this question, let me know um, if it's if it's wrong or if it's rude, please just tell me. And the fact that she even checked on how I was doing and whether I had capacity and she was willing to do her own learning, it was just like the perfect response. And I, to be honest, I didn't mind if people had the wrong response. The whole thing we put in the book is we've just got to start the conversation without being wor worried about getting it wrong. But she happened to just approach it really well. And um, we realised there were actually no books that help you with this at the time. There's quite a few now, which is brilliant but there weren't any. Um, and I actually um, um, screenshotted our conversation with her permission. And I, I literally blacked out the bits about the book. She said, oh, you should write a book on this. And I was like, you should write a book on this. <laughs> and I was like, that's a really good idea. No one should nick it. But I, I put it in my Facebook status just to say, hey guys, this is an example of a white friend reaching out to me. It was so simple. And this is the way to do it. Like not that there's a right or wrong way, but she checked on my mental health. She checked and, and said, look, if I've got this wrong, don't worry about it. And I was more than happy to have any conversation with her. It's that simple. Um, and then a friend um, who is a publicist happened to see the status. And I obviously didn't hide it very well. She said, were you guys talking about a book? <laughs> and I was like, maybe. Uh, and then she's like, that would be brilliant. You guys should do it. So then I was like, oh, no, now we have to actually do this thing. <laughs> and she was like, it would be best if you did it together. So you've got one white parent and one non-white parent. You've got both your views. So we initially, we just did a book proposal. And funny enough, it didn't end up going with that publicist. But then because we'd done the work, she said, oh, you know, you've got nothing to lose by sending it to a few others. And the next one we sent it to um, took it on board. Um, and pretty much it was so much fun to write together because Ruth and I always have great conversations. She's one of my friends, again, that we can be really honest with. Yeah. Um, and we can really tell each other if we think we've got things wrong. And we even put in the book because we, you know, a few things went wrong along the way. Um, I wish actually we'd recorded some of our conversations. It would have made a great podcast. Yeah. But it, it was just great to just reflect on how similar our views are. And on the outside, very similar parents, yeah. but entirely different experiences. Um, simply because of the skin that I'm walking around in. Um, so we learned a lot and we just really didn't want to shame anyone or tell it, it's not about telling anyone off. It was more, we described it as a gentle arm around someone to guide them and encourage them just to have those conversations. And although it was aimed at talking to children, what's been amazing is the overwhelming feedback has been from adults saying, I learned so much from this book because we obviously did it in quite simple language for children. And there's so many people who just have really simple questions like, what does anti-racism mean? What's systemic racism? Like things like that. And they're too scared to ask because they don't look like I don't know anything or that I'm ignorant. And um, so, yeah, it was it was a real joy to write it with her. And I always learn so much from her as well. And she's just so gracious and just so eager to, to learn. Um, so it was a lot of fun to do that together. Amazing, amazing. I'm, I'm, and I'm so glad. 
I, that through her I got to talk to you and and can kind of hear your side of the of how it kind of came about um so I'm really appreciative of that um I, I had a question oh where was I gonna go <laughs> um well let's jump over to the music side of things so um you 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 manage artists who uh, in in your bio, it sort of talks about um, I guess artists that are also passionate about social change and 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 creating change through music. How how are you seeing that happen? How are you? What changes are you seeing from the? I guess any artists, but particularly those that you work with, that are able to kind of make some changes that uh, that not you have evidence for, but that you how is it making a difference <laughs> yeah yeah sure well I, I think um going back to like what I was saying earlier that like it's very difficult to sometimes be listened to if you're just standing on a podium kind of lecturing and telling people what to think or telling them that they're wrong but the wonderful thing about music is it transcends all barriers cultures ages colors all of those things and you can say pretty controversial things through music that you otherwise couldn't and people might at least listen to them so um, all of my artists have done so well to see themselves as activists. And I think I found them and they found me because we have this similar uh, idea of how powerful art can be. So for example, um, one of my artists, Joshua Luke Smith, who's a, a spoken word artist and a poet and a rap artist, he literally, his kind of um, strap line is to speak into chaos. And he feels that his responsibility is to talk about the difficult things. So he's done spoken word pieces on subjects from porn addiction to uh, sex trafficking, to suicide, um, to racism, um, to managing debt and mental health. So which, you know, if you imagine an artist writing an album, this thing to be like, that sounds so boring or intense. But if, when you do that in a creative way, and often because of the audiences, because of his genre of music, then there are people who exactly need to hear those things, but but perhaps aren't going to consume that information. And we usually make sure we partner with a charity as well so we can point people to get in the help they need if it has sparked something. Um, my other artist, Governor B, his uh, two albums ago was largely inspired by him very suddenly losing his dad. And he's a young black male and he realized he had no tools to deal with grief and the kind of mental health fallout from that. And he was in the middle of writing an album and he was like, I can't put this album. It's kind of jump up and down sort of party album. So he scrapped the whole album and then uh, he rewrote this whole album. He's like, I think I'm going to lose a load of fans, but I just need to talk about this. And we centered it around fatherhood, around bereavement, around grief, around mental health. It was his most honest album yet. And it ended up being his most successful album to date mm -hmm. because there was all these young black men saying, I don't get to talk about this. My yeah. um, uh, family or my church background don't really en enable me to, to speak about these negative feelings I've been having. And, and I just think that's so powerful. That's so important. And even those more tender feelings, um, uh, my brother Bianca Rose speaks about um, motherhood and the depression she experienced after her first child as well, and also a disconnect with her own mother. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think all of these things, when we can hear our stories in music, we feel seen, 
but also there's an element of healing. It's kind of like a balm hearing somebody else go, it's not just me, it's somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and again, it just makes people talk, you know, the, the interviews that they've been able to have from um, creating that kind of music, it makes so much better than just, hey, this is a great beat with, you know, that you can dance to. Um, and I'm really proud of them for that because I think it's important. I think it's what art is for. Art's there yes. to disrupt in the most wonderful way possible. Uh, it's such a powerful, such a powerful up for format. Um, I, you know, from paintings on cave walls to stories and you know songs and art that have emerged to tell stories before the written word. Um, it's a t it's been a tool for change uh you know whether it's accessing feelings whether it's um yeah telling a story that resonates giving permission to have feelings about things do do you do you remember any particular in particularly influential songs or music from your life i suppose anything that kind of stands out as art uh, that was maybe the first song that really made me feel something or changed something or shifted something? Wow, so many, so <laughs> many. I've, I've always felt music deeply and um, mm. my my dad was a musician um, and so we, music was massive in our house. My mum wasn't musical, but she just loved music. So like music was on from the moment we woke up till we, till we went to bed. So it's just such a huge thing. So I always, felt deeply I always went to music with any feeling that I had you know if I was depressed if I was celebrating something it was it would um it would help me to access what I was feeling a lot so I mean I think I could think of a song for every possible mood but I think for me as a teenager and this is a real cliche one because at the time I, I wasn't a particular fan of their music but um when the Spice Girls came out, it was the first time when there was Scary Spice and look at my hair and my complexion. I, you know, it's the first time I saw somebody who was British who looked like me as a singer. Yeah. So then I could imagine, you know, maybe I could be a singer. Yeah. Um, and it's so important to see ourselves represented. Um, you know, e even in the wake of 2020, it's been amazing to see like literally overnight, all the adverts, there were suddenly mixed couples and, and black families. And I mean, even though people had outrage at there being a black family and a Sainsbury's advert and all of that sort of thing, mm -hmm. but it's just so important. So uh, I know that's a bit, not quite answering um, the question, but I remember feeling, because there was always American artists. Like I, I listened to a lot of Motown, even though it was before my time, because my dad loved that, um, but they were always American. So it's like, oh, you, you could do that in America. But seeing it reachable, seeing myself represented on a screen, um, doing the career that I wanted to do, that was quite an empowering moment for me. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And yeah, I think it's like being asked your favourite film. It would, it's almost an impossible question to, to answer when someone puts you on the spot like that. <laughs> um, so tell me about um, uh, the, um, is it the I Am Independent? Um, podcasts uh, um, organization that you started yeah being? yeah I mean again I think it comes back to this passion and purpose issue because I have always particularly um, been passionate about independent artists so I love music and I've always wanted to work in in music but the business mm. 
man, it's the wild, wild west out there. Mm. And, you know, these big record companies, you know, the deals are awful and you're signing away so much. They can't even exist without the talent of the artist. And that the artist is the last person that's thought about mental health wise. You know, they're getting 20% while the company gets 80%. So in, in this era that we've had in the last 15, 20 years where the independent artist has emerged, where they keep the rights to their songs, but it's a very hard road. You know, you don't have that big machine behind you. So I've always been really passionate about helping those artists because there's a way to have, um, let me rewind a little bit. I talked earlier about um, defining what success means for you. And when I coach independent artists, I always say to them, because in the past, the, the holy grail of success for uh, artists was to be signed to a major record label. And that's how you define not realizing after that your life's over you belong to them they is a lot it takes a lot to recoup that money before you're going to be earning anything and there's a very high price for getting that holy grail so i always ask independent artists what do you want your life to look like like what's success for you do you want to be an artist that can tour europe and sell out venues of 600 whenever your tickets go on sale they get sold out but you can still shop in your local Sainsbury's and you can pay your bills do you want to be a chart topping artist like Taylor Swift and no, no answer is wrong mm. but being honest about what success means to you mm. is it just that you've got some things to say and you just want to get them out there because then when I help them to put their goals and their timeline and a campaign together we're not just blindly following well this is how you be a successful artist but this is how you get success for you mm. for what you want your journey to look like but it's so hard to find reliable and good advice for the independent artist. And there are so many people who want to take advantage of you um, and charge you lots of money and not deliver very much. Um, and Bianca Rose, one of my artists, who's also a very good friend of mine, she's been an independent artist since the beginning. And she just really done the painstaking work of teaching herself all the different moving parts because you've got to be everything if you're independent you've got to be your booking agent your accountant your lawyer uh, and the you know all you wanted to do is perform your songs but you've got to be all of these other things know how to write a press release so she'd really worked it all out and she was like you know I don't want to just keep this to myself I want to share this for other uh, independent artists and also because I'd by then been working on the unsigned radio show and I knew so many artists that would benefit from that knowledge. So we decided to basically start a podcast, to start a platform where it's a bit of a one-stop shop for loads of great free advice for independent artists to be equipped, just to give them the tools that they need uh, and to ask them the right questions about what success means and defining their path. Mm -hmm. Um, so it grew out of that really and it, it was just we just thought it'd be there for people to be able to benefit from and didn't realize how many artists needed that um, it's been very hard for us to keep up we haven't done a podcast series thing for a year because we've both been really busy yeah. but luckily a lot of the information on there is pretty much standalone and timeless yeah. but it's something that, again I'm really proud of because there's so many people who would take your money and give you something that you could just Google really. And mm -hmm. we created a course that we really put a lot of work in and, and really give away a lot for free. Yeah. But we also um, have got some more in-depth advice and contacts that we share as well, just setting people up for success so they don't feel so alone in the, you know, the really hard journey of the independent artist. Yeah. And actually that ties in with what we were saying earlier is around about the kind of what, what 
what's the difference between people that want want to have a, have a, a very natural innate desire to go I want to keep this to myself I want to share this I want to help other people versus I guess sometimes the the, the people that go no me mine give it to me it's it's mine only um that's perhaps the difference between uh maybe sometimes the people that are in powerful positions um and i think are... it's because as well there's enough room for all of us mm. like there's this myth that like i i people used to ask me all the time like as being a black female music manager and because there, there's very few of them and like oh you know is it really competitive and you know, you've got to be a bitch to be at the top and all of this stuff. And I was like, actually, everyone who's held the door open for me has been a woman. And I want to do the same for anyone who comes behind me. All that thing where you have the token one woman on the board or the token black person on the board, as if there's not enough room to have more than one. There's mm -hmm. enough room for all of us. And the same with music. Music's so competitive. Look how many songs are uploaded to Spotify every single day. It's crazy. It's something like 60,000 or something like that. But the point is, like, there's loads and loads of shoe shops, but we all know the shoe shop that we like to shop in. There's enough room for everything. Shoe shops are not going to, oh, we've got way too many shoe shops. There's still people are going to always buy shoes. They're always going to buy music. And there's enough room for everybody. And I, I feel a responsibility that if I manage to get through any door or any ceiling, I'm bringing someone up with me or I'm holding it open because what's the point of me just getting in there? What, there's only room for me. And there may be a time when I have to, remove myself from that table to make room for somebody else who needs to be there because their voice hasn't been heard and I think if, if more of us were willing to do that and see it that way uh, that's when it's going to be less of that whole anyone who holds something to themselves thinking that they're bringing success for themselves that's just definitely going to turn around and kick them at some point mm -hmm. I think if, if one wins we all win that kind of mentality is where we're going to see the biggest amount of change yeah Oh, yeah, I'd love to see that in so many areas of of, of life and society. If one yeah. wins, we all win. Uh, it, yeah, makes the world more accessible. Um, and a really interesting shift uh, in terms of your, you know, your coaching artists on what do you, what does success look like for you? Because uh, there is, you're right. It, it's almost sort of independent is seen as less than these mm. big recording uh, uh, companies, <laughs> record companies, record labels, that's the word. Um, but th actually, th that's not the only route to uh, sharing your story and having your voice out there. Um, is it, do you feel like there's any kind of, um, well, I, I suppose, I suppose, uh, and what am I trying to say? I, <laughs> uh, in a way, you've kind of already answered the question that I'm trying to ask, which is there's probably room for for it all. But um, what if you could see any sort of systemic changes within these big record companies? What what would you like in an ideal world? What would you what would you like to see change within them? I think the number one thing I'd like to see change is that artists who at the end of the day I mean, it's so ridiculous isn't it like literally they would not exist they wouldn't have a job without the music in the first place without the artists who are the creators yet they're the last to get paid and the least to get paid so i'd love to see them you know and songwriters producers or all the creators um be reimbursed um fairly 
and own their music and be able to have access to ownership of their music. Um, I get that record companies put in a lot of money and I, I'm not against record labels. If you're a certain kind of artist, so if you want to be a Taylor Swift, you probably need that big machine behind you. You know, I, I always say record labels are money and muscle. And if, mm. if you if you want to be a world global star, you probably do need that because they have got the infrastructure to make that happen for you. But that comes at a price. Mm. And I'm just all for artists going in with their eyes open. Like when they sign that piece of paper and know they're signing away their kidney along with everything else, at least they know. So they're not like, I didn't realise what I was signing. I didn't realise what, what that was. And, and way up going, well, this with where I'm willing to go and the work I'm willing to put in, I, I'm willing to give this up. There's always an exchange there. Um, so I'd love to see a change in terms of artists being paid fairer royalties and percentages. But I also think, like in all things, we're only going to see change in any of these big companies when we see ordinary and every type of person at every level. So if you think about the artists who make up the, the most popular music industry, so the most popular genre of music at the moment is rap. They are often from working class backgrounds. Um, they are often black or brown people. Um, you can't see those people in the executive levels of the music yeah. industry. So how are their values going to be reflected? How are they going to be understood or even respected? Uh, in the same way that we need to be able to see people of all identities um, and every, everything that you can possibly get in society, because this is what's going on in life. This is real life at the end of the day. But then you have this elite thing, a bit like what we're talking about with, with the government. If, if those top ends aren't reflecting this massive big majority, how are they ever going to understand us or reflect our needs or, or serve our interests or really have our best interests at heart? So I'd love to see more diversity in every way, on every level, and particularly those high executive levels in the record labels. I think when we have that, we will start to see more care for artists, more... Um, signings that are are not going to set people up for failure or just rinse them and then just kind of spew them out into the system and the deals will be fairer as well yeah yeah all good points um and again I suppose that comes back to well what's the route to that it's it's people like you saying it this is what needs to happen and changing your little corner of the music world and um putting out that information to artists so they are aware and they can go into it with their eyes open yeah there are some companies like you know after 2020 i, I don't know if you remember but all of the music industry companies put a black square do you remember that on on instagram oh, yeah it's meant to say that you're in affiliation and, and that's all very well but mm -hmm. putting a black square and then carrying on with how you've been what does that really do but thankfully, not many. Um, I think many think that was a tick box. And there's some who went a step further and they might have some small print that says, we are an anti-racist company or we're committed to anti-racist, but, like, but their policies aren't and yeah. their recruitment does not reflect that. But then there are a few who really did take that on board. And there's a, an amazing initiative called Power Up, uh, which was started by the PRS Foundation. And I was fortunate enough to be on the first year. So in, it was in 2021, so following 2020, where they selected 40, so 20 uh, black or brown um, music executives and 20 black or brown music artists. 
uh, on this program where there was some funding, but there was also some training and some networking. And the idea was where um, many black and brown people who do work in the industry or are an artist are in the minority, providing a kind of network so that you've got some peers and you've got advice and you don't feel so alone. You go, hang on a minute, does this, is this right? And, and it's amazing um, for me because not only was it an incredible year and I felt so seen and to be honest a lot of the year was us all talking about our trauma and little stories that had happened and things like that and that was healing in itself yeah. but what I love about the PRS foundation is they've committed to do this program for 10 years now that's real change yeah. there's lots of people who put a black square there's lots of people who for a year to, you know put their staff on an anti-racing program to commit to something so if you imagine that's 40 every year for 10 years, that's quite a cohort. That is probably going to make a real change. Um, and, and that's the kind of change we want to see. And that was started uh, two people. One of them, yes, was a black guy, but one of them is a white guy. And that's what I love the most is when I see white people going, let me get out of the way and facilitate this for you. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how we're going to see change. Uh, and it's going to take a time. They know it's not going to be changed overnight. So they've invested in putting people in these positions people who have been on power up have gone on to be on the boards of things they literally train you how to put yourself forward for these things how to look after your mental health and that kind of thing is going to see i really feel optimistic that there will be a change but it just might be some time yeah yeah well, that's great to hear um about an initiative like that as you say that kind of long-term thinking rather than just a token uh, we've yeah. made a change let's actually make a change um power has been threaded throughout this whole conversation has been amazing um when do you feel at your most powerful <laughs> wow most powerful i think so i'm gonna define feeling powerful as when i feel yeah this is me i'm doing what i should be doing what i'm here for and when I get that feeling is usually when I'm speaking to an artist who's sometimes new to the industry. So I get this a lot when I speak to my students at the university that I teach at and they're so pure and untainted by the industry and they're so hopeful and excited. And even though I know they're going to have a lot of disappointment and a lot of rejection in the industry um, ahead of them, like everything in life has to start with a dream. We have to dream it first and believe before it, you know, we have to have our imagination before we anything could be a reality. You have to dream it, then you can actually put a plan together and then you can actually do it. So um, I love whipping people up in their dreams. And like I said, I had to really check myself on, am I just like feeding these kids with this, yes, you can be anything and like setting themselves up for failure. But what I realized is like, if you're just like, aiming just here you might only get there but if you aim here you might get here so we, we have to not be afraid to dream and when I tell my story of being you know from a single parent family on a council estate who was told by my careers officer come on Loretta let's think of a more realistic career and yet you know I've performed with all sorts of stars on tv and tours and had a career um, that I've loved and enjoyed um, and that I could say, and, and I'm standing there in front of them and saying, you could do that too. Um, that makes me feel really powerful that I can be an example um, to tell people that they can have the life that they want to have. Um, but also challenge them for it to leave room for it to look a little different. 
Mm. Like I, my career wasn't Beyonce's, but I still traveled the whole world singing and I made a living out of singing. For me, that was success. And I loved every moment of it. And now I can pass on the skills that I've learned. Um, so I think that's when I feel most powerful, when I can take somebody's dream and help them to start putting it into an actual plan when they can actually go, that might actually just happen. Or that might actually might come true. Yeah, amazing. It's it's uh, the, the journey for me asking these questions in, in the podcast interviews it's it's that that one question um what makes you feel when are you at your most powerful what makes you feel powerful um I often find that people kind of deflect it because it's it's almost not okay to feel powerful I think Mm. particularly as a woman um sometimes you cut because because I think power has this duality of like with great power comes great responsibility there are a lot of powerful people who are really terrible people um but I love hearing I love hearing people own their power and and kind of so so for you you're kind of saying actually if everything aligns my values align everything aligns when it all comes together and I'm helping people change uh, and and realize visualize uh, and and create a path to to a goal that makes you feel powerful yeah and just realizing that you can have the life you want. And I don't mean by that as in, oh, we all get to be millionaires. Personally, I mean, personally, I don't want to be a millionaire, like the problems that come with that. But I mean, in terms of what you want life to look like and life to feel like, there's been so many things in my life that I've done that I remember friends and peers around me going, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I was brave enough to do that. Like, for example, when my son was four, I went traveling around Europe, backpacking with him. And so many people said, oh, that's so brave. I wish I could do that. And I was like, you can like I was so poor I had no resources but there's we I have to adapt things like originally I wanted to do the world um you know and like you know for a year and actually in the end it was Europe and for two months so but I still did it and it's just like sometimes we can discount that we can do things because we look at our circumstances or who we are or what people have said Mm. and I love saying to people okay well it might not look like that might not be Taylor Swift but what if it looked like this and you're still doing this? And, yeah. and um, I think, you know, when you see people like caught in, in lives and in jobs that they absolutely hate, and I don't, I'm not talking about people who are doing what they have to do to make ends meet, but I mean somebody who's in a well-paid job, but just hating it. And I'm like, you actually do have the power to change it. Like you've, right. it, it's, we've all, it's the choices you've made. Like I've gone out with, gone without a lot monetary wise because of the choices I've had for my career but I've absolutely loved it and I wouldn't change it for anything and I'm not gonna lie and when I look at my life now in my 40s I'm like don't actually have much to show for that in terms of (laughs) I don't have like a pension or any of those things yeah but I've loved my life and that's the choice that that I made and I and I would do it again yeah I love that it's uh it, it is really challenging people's values as well I think it's so you're asking quite big questions of people that may have that really lofty goal of Taylor Swift, Beyonce level success, but in asking, but, but what could, could it look different? What would it potentially look like if it was, and the the example you gave of you traveling, actually you aimed for the world and then you hit Europe and you aimed for a year and you hit uh, a few months. And, and that's an great example of what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Do you have anything else you're kind of burning to say that you haven't said yet? 
No, I think actually one thing, because I think I've always been, like I said, a dreamer and I've always encouraged people to have dreams. But I think it would be a disservice if someone listened to this and go, oh, it's because I can imagine hearing someone like this and go, oh, it's all right for you because you don't know my life or you don't know this, that and the other. And um, there's also been a lot of disappointment and rejection. And I just think it's just really important to acknowledge that. Like even recently, I've had a little mini crisis in terms of where I go forward with my music management. I stopped working with one of my artists, which was one of my biggest earners. And then I was like, oh my goodness, I've like, for the last five years, poured everything into this. And sometimes I so run ahead with something because of my passion that I don't really have a plan. And also because I love building things for other people that I'm not thinking about, well, what about my life? And what about, are me and my son gonna be all right? And um, I just think it's just, I just wanted to say that because that's very recent news and it's it's the reality of it. And I'm still managing um, artists, but I am looking to supplement my income. And that's the reality of it. I've, I've often had to do other jobs alongside doing the thing that I'm passionate about. And that's something I'm really honest with my students about as well, to not resent the day job. If you have to work at Tesco so that you can in the evenings record your album, great, that's enabling you to do that. Yeah. Um, and that's real life. Yeah. So I think that's the only thing I would I would not want to finish without saying there's definitely been moments that have been really hard where I've questioned, do I really want to be on this path and 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 what am I building in terms of what lasts? But I do think for me, it's about what I want to feel like in my life. What do I want to see? Um, what lifestyle do I want to have? Um, and and making sure that every decision I make is supporting what I say are my values and towards building that and that's not a one-time thing every now and then when you come to a crossroads you have to check in with that again so I just wanted to, to mention that I, I'm I'm so glad that that I just asked then if there was anything else that you wanted to say because I think that's so important I think that's such a uh it, it would it is easy to just kind of offer the the rainbows and <laughs> glitter version of of life yeah. Um, but actually, you're right. There's some the real reality realities there, and ongoing changes that we have to manage and and deal with. And something that you said earlier on about that core group of people that you have in your life, your community, your support. Um, that's so important. I think. I think there's the crime of individualism is that yeah. we think we have to make it on our own and do it on our own, and and actually yeah. the the to miss the value of support and community is is such a loss to su- surviving those crap times um is there anything you can sort of say to that is there anything uh, else that kind of helps you keep going when the unforeseen and the the bad times happen i think a few things so like i said my 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 girls my my core group who have been through everything with me the the good times and the bad times um but also just check it i think being a parent it really um snaps everything in in into place doesn't it because everything i do i i try to think about what i'm modeling for my son um like i i so want him to to have a fulfilled life mm. uh, and that that t- comes along with that is being responsible as well 
And I'm always checking myself and whether I'm modeling to him responsibility of me providing for us, as well as him seeing me go for my dreams. How can I expect him to if I'm not? And also, how can I expect him to be responsible if I'm not also being responsible as well, making those decisions? So that that definitely helps me being a parent because and there's nothing like being a parent that brings you down to earth as well, does it? <laughs> They're not impressed by any of your accolades or anything like that. They just want to know what time dinner is. Um, so that really helps. Um, and my partner now is really um, supportive. And he, uh, in particular, um, just loves life. And just, I can be quite serious. Um, and he just reminds me to have joy every day. Um, and I just think that kindness is underrated. It's the biggest underrated thing. So kindness to others and kindness to myself um, at certain points have been the things that have sort of kept me on track as well. Uh, and just going back to that original thing, like, am I am I making a difference with this? If it's, if it's only for me, there's definitely something that feels wrong with that. I definitely had to go for a journey and realising it's okay for me to get something out of it as well. Yeah. And for me to be able to charge prices that, you know, are my worth and all of that was a real journey. I was almost too much the other way. Yeah. But it's because my sense of purpose is so much for wanting to help others as well. And I genuinely get a lot of joy out of that. So I think checking in on my values that I've said and whether I'm in alignment with them in my decisions is definitely what keeps me on track. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for that. Um, lots, lots of lessons in there for everybody listening, I think, of, of just, you know, how to keep going, how to check in with your values, how to kind of start with yourself first. Um, uh, amazing. Uh, Loretta, thank you so much for, for doing the podcast. Um, I'm so grateful and really enjoyed hearing your story and picking your brains about some of these societal stuff going on. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it and hopefully I haven't rambled on too much. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. It's It's been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast and I really hope you enjoyed it. Please like and subscribe and if you really want to help me out, I would love it if you could leave me a review and share my podcast with friends who you think would also enjoy it. This podcast was produced by Lexi at Digital Hero and the music was created by Charlie at Walters Music Productions.